How do you follow that? Glory to God. We give you glory and honor, Lord. But thank you. I am, uh, just wanted to say one thing, and that was I wanted to thank uh, the worship team. Uh, I very much appreciated being brought into the throne room. I appreciate the open heaven that's here. It's just awesome. Hallelujah. Palpable. And I'm not going to talk just yet because uh, Kimberly is uh, known as Pastor Kimberly at our church, and she's going to give you a short teaching. I have heard it. It's awesome. Y'all are really going to enjoy yourselves. Hallelujah. Hey. It's working now, dear. It's working now. You see what I deal with. Okay, so today, I, my sister told me that, um, anyway, Jody Davis is my sister, and so she's my younger sister, so I always got to be the boss, you know. Life was good. So today, we're gonna, she said that you guys have been going through a month of prayer, and so I had just taught this at our church, and I asked the Lord, what do you want me to say? And it was like, my husband's like, you need to teach that, so... This is a lot of personal stuff. I'm talking about prayer today. Um, there are many ways that God speaks to us. And um, I'm just going to share three ways that he's actually spoken to me and what happened. So prayer is an act of communication that seeks to have a rapport with God. Well, every other religion in the world, just God tells them what to do. But in our case, God wants to have a covenant relationship with us. So he wants covenant prayer. He wants to speak, I speak back. He wants to speak, I speak back. So I'm going to give three ways that happened in my own life. Because the Lord receives us in prayer. The moment you pray, he receives you right then and there. So there are um, three ways. The first way I'm going to share was the first time I ever actually heard the voice speak in my ear. The voice has spoken to me. You've had the Lord speak to you. It's like it's so loud inside of you, you know it's God. And so um, the first time that happened to me, my husband and I had two little girls, and we had a very troubled marriage. For my, my first husband, Richard's my second. Both of our spouses passed. Okay, so my first husband, we were married for 35 years. But our first five years of marriage it were past terrible. They were past terrible. And so we were going to get a divorce. Well, we got saved. And so, but a year after we got saved, his brothers came out. Now, do you ever notice in your family when you've got sin, if you have the people who are sinning around you come, it's like it pulls you away from the Lord, you know? And so his brothers had come out and um, Terry told me he wanted a divorce. And here's the crazy thing. We were both saved and we held each other all night long in bed and cried. He's like, I don't want to do this. I don't know what I'm doing. And the next day he was gone. And so I was saved. And I mean, I prayed about it. I, I was so shocked by it. I, I mean, I just cried. I prayed about it. But that is not when God spoke to me. It was not in the time of crying. It wasn't in the time of my prayer closet or at church. I was standing out. I had gone out to the kitchen, and I was standing at the window washing my dishes. And I said a one-word prayer. And this, I remember this distinctly, I said, Lord, who in the world is going to want a 24-year-old woman with two little girls? And he said to me, as clear as a bell, I do. These are the words of covenant. When you get married, what do you say to one another? You say, I do. And so the very first words that the Lord said to me were, I do, I was stunned. 
and I was set free by two little powerful words of covenant. The first thing he did was he assured me, you've got covenant with me, I will take care of you. And that's all he said was, I do, but I know what a husband does. Husbands are the priests of the family. They lead you in the Lord. They lead the wife. They lead the children. And the family will follow the Lord. The husband is the provider. He works. He provides for the household. And Now, women work too. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying the husband is the provider. But he provides more than money. He provides comfort. When my, when my daughter died two years ago, this man gave me incredible comfort. Uh, Ted and Jody gave me incredible comfort. And so your husband provides comfort. He provides emotional things. You know, the Bible says the woman is the weaker one. That simply means I'm weaker emotionally than Richard. Something can break me real quick. And he can just talk to me and talk to me and walks me right back out of it. Okay, the husband is also, okay, let's see, priest, provider, and protector. Richard protects me. If someone is going to come up against me and, and try to hurt me in, in any way, Richard will try to come in and buffet that. So, um, now you think, well, so anyway, the Lord told me I do, and I was not worried about it from that point on. But Terry came home three days later. I had nothing to do with it. I never went to him. Terry came home three days later and never left again. That's the truth. Okay, the second way I want to talk about So the first way is he will speak to you, and you will know it's God speaking to you. Yeah. So the second way of communication that, spoke, that God spoke to me was two years ago, and he called me to battle. Now, my oldest daughter, Honey, I have two daughters, Honey and Amber, who are the same age for five days. And so Honey was 46, and at 40, she got cancer the first time and came back out of it. When she was about 43, she had a uh, stroke, which was caused by the cancer. And then when she was 45, um, through that year, she had her birthday. She got cancer for the third time. They told her, this is fourth stage, and we can't help you. And so I'd, she told me, uh, I'd seen her at Christmas, and she said, I'm coming down to the Hope Conference. Now, just like your pastor was talking, um, what was it, dotomy? Didomy, okay, didomy. Didomy birthed Harvest House, okay? In the church, the apostles... Uh, you take one church and you just keep birthing churches. You know, you keep sending out. You keep doing that. So in our church, um, Pastor Bowd is the apostle of our church, and um, we are in uh, Alabama, but we have churches in Hawaii, and uh, I mean, people who have come that want to join with our church, we're like sister churches. So the Hope Conference is once a year, and every church that's our sister churches, we've got a lot of them, um, they come to this Hope Conference, and they're, how many people would you say come? Three or four hundred people from all over the country. The people from Hawaii come in and Tennessee and, and all these places. So Honey told me, she says, Mom, I'm coming down for the Hope Conference, which I had wanted her to do several times. I was so excited. So she was coming down with Amber because she was staying with Amber at Christmas and her husband went back home to Illinois because he had to work. And so Honey said, I'm coming. And I told the Lord, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. You know, whatever you tell me to say, I don't care what it is. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. So she came down there, and when we go down, we go down to Florida. And you can come in any time of the week you want. The, uh, the prophets meet on Wednesday night. Lots of people come down the weekend before. We go down the weekend before. And then you play. It's fun. We all go out to eat. We run to each other's houses. We, 
Richard and them get the guitars out. We sit and just worship together. Uh, we go to the beach, play volleyball, just all kinds of stuff, you know, whatever you want to do. But on Wednesday night, all the prophets from all these churches get together. And it's only the prophets. And so that happens Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night, um, our worship times. And our pastor, the apostle, brings the word on uh, that Friday night for the year. Okay, so we're on the last night. The night before that, Honey had received uh, a word from the prophets. But that Friday night, we were in praise and worship. And you guys are obviously praise and worshipers here. So you know, lots of times, I mean, our whole altar, I mean, there'd be 100 people up front, 50, 100 people up front. And um, we'd be dancing and really worshiping the Lord with everything. I mean, it was like four times the size of this. And there were like, this whole section was one section, and it went all the way back. Then there was an aisle, a second section like this, an aisle, and then a third section. It was huge. And so the praise and worship was going on. We were worshiping the, God, the Lord. And um, then it quieted down. And, you know, I was just standing in my seat. I'm, I'm in the middle section. I'm three, three rows back from the front. My husband is up on the praise and worship team. The praise and worship team is a lot of the people from all the churches. And uh, Anita Frady leaned into the microphone. Everything got quiet. Do you guys know the song, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down? Okay, all she did was, she leaned into the mic and she sang, if you walked out of that grave, I'm walking too. It exploded in me. I knew God was summoning me for battle. I looked up there, there is nobody up there. Nobody. And I looked up there and I thought, I, I don't know what to do, Lord. You know, so this is what happened. She's singing real softly. If you walked out of that grave, I'm walking too. So I stepped into the aisle and we're singing. And I looked up there. There's nobody there. I stepped back in. That was the first time. And she kept singing it. It didn't stop. He's summoning me. I stepped out the second time and I thought there is nobody up there. And I'm getting ready to do a war march slash dance, whatever I'm doing. Because I wasn't sure. I stepped back in. But the third time I realized... The Lord's up there, because who's summoning me? Anita wasn't, Richard wasn't. The Lord was summoning me to battle. And, he said, and he's like, remember what you said? And I'm thinking, I told you I would do whatever you told me to do. So I stepped out, and I walked up front, and I stood in front of the praise and worship team, and I just started going back and forth like this. You know how when you're going into battle. It's like he's going to rev you up, because you're going into battle. The biggest, uh, there was a saying one time, someone said that the biggest lie that was told in the 20th century was there's no devil biggest lie ever told you have an enemy raise your hand if you've never had the enemy come against you because I'll slap it because you're you've lost your mind you've had the enemy come against you has anybody ever had trouble in their marriage anybody had trouble with their kids anybody have trouble with the family anybody have trouble at work it doesn't matter. He's going to attack you, but you can go into a battle plan. And so the Lord's taking me into battle plan. So I walked up front. Okay, so I'm up front. I'm like, oh, Lord, what am I doing? So I'm, I'm moving back and forth. And so I was like, turn to, it's like I knew to turn to the left because I was going to have to start the march. And so I started moving. And to my left, as I'm going by, here, I'll do it this way. So I'm up here moving. 
And to my left, I'm trying not to look at anybody because the place is packed and I'm up here by myself doing a war march. Okay, so I'm starting, I'm with the music and I, in the corner of my eye, I saw my pastor's right here. My pastor is up in his seat and he's pointing to his wife and pointing to me and I thought, my pastor knows what I'm doing. It helped me. It's like I knew he was with me. So this is the middle section. I didn't know where Honey and Amber were. And so I got to the last section and as I, as I was going down, I caught Honey's eye. And as I'm moving, I pointed to her and caught her eye. She and Amber were standing there, and they knew where I was doing. Now, later on, Amber said, Mom, we saw someone go up front. And Honey's like, well, who's that up there? And she said, when you came down, she said, it's Mom. <laughs> you know, so, so I'm moving, and I have to get to the far wall. And so I knew the girls were with me, and my pastors were with me. They, I'm saying they knew what I was doing because... The Lord gives you himself, but he also gives you the body. He's not just a head floating around. There is a body of Christ, and he said, you need them too. You're going to need some arms. You're going to need, you know, some, you're, you're, you're going to need stuff. And so I'm moving down, and I'm looking to the far wall, and there's a lady on my prayer team, and she is leaping, I'm not kidding you, straight up and down, and we locked eyes, and I thought, if I can just get to her, then I can turn around, because I was determined to do it, so I'm looking at her, and I mean, I'm moving, I'm moving, with the, with, because by then they're saying, ain't no grave going to hold my body down, and so I'm moving towards her, I come back, and I come back up to my seat, and with a great breath, <laughs> I sat down, and so everything died down again, so from, I'm sitting there for a couple of minutes, and um, all of a sudden, the music starts revving up again. And I see, all of a sudden, and I'm up there by myself the whole time. Here come people, and they're, they're walking down, they're, they're, they're moving, and all of a sudden, I see them start running. I thought, I'm getting in that. That's an anointing, and I want to be in the anointing. You need the anointing. Smith Wigglesworth said, I'd rather have five minutes of the anointing than a million dollars. Why? Because something will change in five minutes. A million dollars will go through your fingers. Ask anybody who's ever won the lottery. They don't have any money today. So I, was, I saw them going by and I thought, I'm going to lap this building. So I'm getting out of my seat. I'm coming up around the corner and there's Honey and Amber. Honey's got Amber. Amber has Honey up. Honey couldn't walk at this time very well. She's on a cane, 46 years old and she's on a cane. And her, her bones are just brittle and... She was determined she was going to do it. So I got around the corner. There stand Honey and Amber. And Amber looks at me. She says, Mom, I want to take her around the building. Honey's like, I want to go around the building. And something supernatural happened. I told, I told uh, Amber, I mean, Honey couldn't walk. I said, you've got that arm. I'm going to grab this one. We picked her up. And we, Amber and I started walking. All of a sudden, she and I were in a dead run. I mean, we were booking it. And we lapped that whole building with Honey up. I don't know how we did it. I don't know how we did it. So we lapped the whole building. We got back. We put her down in her seat. So she went back up to Amber's. And the next day, okay, we came back home Saturday. I keep thinking she called me Monday. Now, when Honey came down, she was on some definite pain meds. I mean, she had fourth stage cancer. She was dying. And so she was in pain a lot. And she called me. And she said, Mom, I received a level of healing the other night. I've not even had an ibuprofen. That went on for two and a half months. Okay, so, I'm sorry, what? She started walking. She started walking the green belt with my daughter Amber. The green belt's several miles long. They walked it all the time. 
uh, Richard, his family goes skiing once a year over North Carolina. And my girls come to that too. And so this, well, this is the first time Honey got to come. So this was the 1st of March. Now this, uh, the Hope Conference was over Christmas, well, the week after Christmas. So this is um, March. She comes down. Now she and Amber don't know how to ski. I don't know how to ski, either, but Richard and his kids know how to ski. And so uh, one of his daughter-in-laws doesn't, and they've got four little kids three little kids at the time. So we, Amber and Honey and I, and Taylor, took all of the kids, all the little kids, over to the tubing. Well, the tubing is down the hill, but there is no lift for the tubing. You have to walk back up the hill. Now, it's not as long as a ski hill, but it's a long hill. Honey was up and down that thing like a dozen times and had kids on her, you know? So, so anyway, uh, Richard's daughter, Rachel, had these uh, powder blue ski pants on. And Honey calls me a couple days later, and she says, you know, Mom, Amber and I started looking at a catalog, and we found some other real pretty ones that are like soft green, soft pink. So she's talking about what she's doing next year. Okay, so she died in May. And you might think, what did that war march do, you, do for you? Have you ever been in chronic pain? Or do you know anybody that's in chronic pain? They cannot get rid of the pain. It just goes on and on and on. You don't think I'd do that war march right now? I would do it right now. I would do it all over again. So she passed. And hold on. When I would worship the Lord, there were times when I th they would say, you know, you win every battle. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute, Lord. Okay, but I would still go into praise and worship. Why? Because I have a covenant relationship with him. I could go into praise and worship, and I knew I was going to start bawling over honey. But I'm worshiping the Lord. Now, when I came to him, the Lord knew that. Okay, you have to decide who your first love is. And it's got to be God. It couldn't be honey. It couldn't be Richard. It couldn't be Jody. My first love is God. Why? Because my God gave me Richard and Jody and Ted and Honey. He gave me Shiloh and Jesse and Maisie and Little River. They are given to me. My first love gave me all my other loves. And I have this promise that I get to see her again. So I have not shared this, but I'm going to share this real quick right now. I was at church, and that's been like a year and a half. And I was standing at church, and we were into praise and worship. And um, the first six months were really bad. The next ones I had to shift. And this last part, it shifted some more. So I'm in praise and worship. I looked up at the wall and I had a vision come down. You've ever had a vision? Had this vision come and I saw honey. But it was me and honey. And so we're facing each other. And I'm in the vision. We are facing each other like this. And we are shocked to see each other, to say the least. And we are so joyful, we're screaming, oh my gosh, it's you. And while I'm looking at her and she's looking at me, I looked down at our feet and I saw glory coming up. We were getting new clothes. All this glory's coming up. We got up to our knees and the vision was gone. Do I get her again? Yes, I do. I get her. The Bible says this is a fleeting time. It is. It's painful. But it's a fleeting time, and I get her again, and she gets me. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so as I was moving, the, the scripture came to me from Psalm 22, 3. It says, he inhabits the praises of his people. 
So let's see. Okay, now, sometimes, on the second part, sometimes prayer requires obedience, and it requires your movement. The movement in our body is part of the prayer. When I was up there moving to that music, it was part of my prayer. And when it's done with the Holy Spirit, there is power. There's great power. So Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. I think about Eric Lytle who uh, uh, ran in the Olympics. And they said, why do you do this? Why do you run? He, he was a Christian. They said, why do you run? He says, because when I'm running, I feel his. I feel, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure. So the third time... The third thing I want to share with you, so the first time the Lord spoke to me, the second time he summoned me into battle, but the third time he uses the word, and he uses this most of the time, and it's powerful. So about six months ago, um, I was having a real hard weekend, grieving her and missing her. And um, Richard and I had been in the living room doing our devotions, and when we were finished, I walked back into the bedroom, and we've got our, chair, our recliners in there. I sat down in the recliner, and... I was just grieving, and uh, he walked up to me. He came in, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Kimberly, because sometimes people give you a word from the Lord, too, and this is what he said. Kimberly, I feel like the Lord is saying for you to go to the book of Psalms and find verses that will give voice to how you're feeling. Now, you know there are 150 chapters, <laughs> but I was perfectly fine. So I opened up my Bible. And I got to the fifth, I, and this is my passion translation. This is what was laying beside my chair, so this is what I got it out of. I got to chapter 5. Now, I totally enjoyed reading all the word until I got there because the word uplifts you. Even when it's like David's in the depths of despair, you're like, I have been there. And, and so, okay, so um, I got to chapter 5. And if you got the passion translation... Um, it's chapter 5, verse 3. So it says, So I'm praying the word of God back to God. He helped me pray. You know, he said, it says, At each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice. As I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you, every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar, and I wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. My heart was broken. And you know, people can comfort you. You need the body of Christ. The body of Christ will comfort you. The body of Christ will encourage you. But I needed God to heal me. Nobody can heal me. You have to have God for that. And so I'm laying the pieces of my, I've got my altar right here. And I take the hyssop branch and I dip it in the blood and I'm cleansing my altar. Oh Lord. I need you to follow my heart because I was dry. It's like I, I would not turn my back on the Lord because I knew who my covenant maker was. I knew where she was, but I needed him to do that. And then chapter 6, verse, I've got glasses on. I've got to lift them up so I can see. Verse 2, please deal gently with me, Yahweh. Show me mercy for I'm sick and frail. I was sick down to my bones. I'm fading away with weakness. Heal me. From falling apart. And he started doing that. And then the last verse I got when I was doing this was chapter 7, verse 17. Um, but I will give all my thanks to you, Lord. Wait a minute. Didn't your daughter die? You're going to thank God for that? 
hey, these are some questions that went through my mind. When after she died, I said, Lord, I was believing you for healing. Do I still believe in healing? Probably more than ever before, if that even makes sense. Okay, so I was like, Lord, and this a day he spoke to me. I said, Lord, I was believing for resurrection. And he said that fast, aren't you still? <laughs> yep, that's what my vision was. Okay, so I would give all my thanks to you, Lord, this next line. For you make everything right in the end. This is not the be all and end all. You are not in the be all and end all yet. We are living to, we are here right now to get a relationship with God and walk with Him in no matter what you go through. If you go through a hard marriage and you've got to go through divorce or you've got to go through the, a spouse passing away or a child passing away or losing, the best job you've ever had, or a child going into rebellion. I mean, come on. Adam and Eve are in a pristine garden with God walking with them in the garden. They both fell. Okay, so I'm just saying this, this stuff can happen. But you, you, God, make everything right in the end. And I will, and I will sing my highest praise to the God of the highest place. So what is prayer? It's a gift of your voice. It's a gift of voice from God to us, back and forth in eternal covenant. Jesus came to us like, like us as a man, and he gave us a voice in a covenant communication with him. Thank you. Hallelujah. If I knew she was going to be that anointed, I would have gone first. <laughs> Praise God. Mm, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We bless your holy name, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place. We invite heaven to come down and be with us. Hallelujah. Come and be with us. We need you. Hallelujah, Lord. This teaching, um, I just, a little introduction. It's called The Call of God on the Ecclesia or on the Church. And I just want to give you the briefest of introduction so you know that I'm not just talking theory, that this is what God's doing in me and this is what He's teaching me. I'm not walking in the fullness of it or anything but we're making progress. So, this, so sometimes we hear things in the word and we have no grid for it and it's like, well, that's cool, but, but this, is not, this is not one of those, okay? Kimberly and I have uh, a call uh, to what's called strategic intercession, which is basically working towards dethroning principalities and powers, okay? And we've gotten to do a little of it. It's... Uh, plenty of other people doing it, but it's still not common, and uh, it's very exciting, practically addictive, it's so exciting. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted you to know that, that it's not just theory, and I also suspect that quite a few of you here are warriors in your own right, and you've already experienced some of this, but hopefully it will encourage you to, to, to have more confidence in God. Okay, let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. Verses 13 through 19. Matthew chapter 16, 
verses 13 through 19. Yes, from the King James. Familiar, these are all familiar scriptures to you. Uh, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? <clears throat> and uh, Simon Peter, that's a good question. Who do you say that I am? <clears throat> Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, Jesus took them not to a place with an open heaven and a great anointing. He took them to an incredibly spiritually dark place. Caesarea Philippi, and I've been there, there is where the god Pan was worshipped, a goat god. They had a big shrine to him. There were two or three other gods that were worshipped in this area. There's this big cliff, and in the cliff is a cave opening. There's a little water that flows down from it. And they believed this was the gate to Hades. The gods would go down and winter in Hades and they would actually, the people who were worshiping at the temple would perform ungodly acts in the front of the cave to summon them back in the spring. So when Jesus is talking about the gates of Hades will not prevail against you, he's not just talking theory or fancy language. He's looking at a gate of hell right there and saying, it will not prevail against you. Hallelujah. Um, now, gates are something we don't understand without teaching what a gate was in that time period. Every city had a, a gate in its wall. And the gate was not just a, an opening that could open or close. There were, it was like 30 to 50 feet thick. The wall was that thick at the gate. And there were rooms built into the side of it. And it was in those rooms that the elders of the city presided. They decided who could come in and out. They made rules. They judged. If you read through the scripture, you'll realize, you know, there's all kinds of places where this happened. If it was... The, so it was the government of the city that presided at the gate. And if it was the capital of the country, the king would be in the gate of the city. All right? So like in Proverbs 31 at the end, it says, talking about the lady, her husband sits in the gates. That meant he was an elder in the city because of who he was married to probably helped him. Okay? Um, and the word gate, sitting in the gates, came to be synonymous with the government of, of the city with the elders. All right, now gates were also a powerful defensive weapon, the actual gate that could close for a city. If you remember in Jericho, when the spies came in, they thought they'd gone out and they knew Israel was coming against them, they closed the gates of the city. It was a big deal for a city to close its gates. All right, hallelujah. 
So I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit and then we'll come to Gates. So Peter says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, we don't believe that that was talking about Peter and the papacy that is supposed to have followed him. <clears throat> we believe that it means the revelation that he got on who Jesus is. is what the church is founded on. Hallelujah. All right. And then Jesus says that on this rock, he will, I will build my church. Now, that word church there is the Greek word ecclesia. Now, Jesus normally drew on Hebraic concepts and brought them into the new covenant. But in this case, he didn't use temple or synagogue or tabernacle, or tent, or any of those things that we would have thought he would have used. He actually went outside of Hebraic thought altogether to a Greek and Roman concept that began with the Greeks, okay? So the word ecclesia uh, means a gathering of those summoned. And the ecclesia was a group of citizens summoned out from the city who formed basically the government of that city. The Ecclesia made decisions about war, foreign policy. They approved or condemned officials of the city. They could uh, kick you out of the city for however many years they wanted to and uh, do away with your citizenship there. So when Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to build his Ecclesia, which is obviously going to include them, he's telling them that they're going to become a ruling authority. Now, that ruling authority, we tend to think of as in the church, but the, it doesn't make any sense for the ecclesia to rule over the ecclesia. All right, so we're talking about dominion in the area where we live, where God has given us jurisdiction. Hallelujah. It's really a, a big deal. Um, I believe that we as an ecclesia are supposed to hear from God and particularly our pastor, our elders are supposed to hear what God wants to do and call, this is whatever God leads you to do. I'm not trying to say anything, but to call the ecclesia together to pray corporately and to declare corporately because God has given that authority to the ecclesia. He doesn't, we have authority individually, but nothing like what we have together as a body of those who are, are, are summoned to come and to rule and make declarations. We're supposed to make things on earth as they are in heaven. Hallelujah. That's our job. Loose what's loosed in heaven and bind what's bound in heaven. Amen. Now, the law first mentioned in the Bible is that when the first time a word is used, the context in which it's used and the, the manner of which it's used is carried out throughout the rest of Scripture. Never violates the first mention. And this is the first mention of the word ecclesia or the word church. And it's in the concept of warfare. Right from the very start, this is a warfare term. We're not, we're a lot of other things. We're a family and, and all of those I'm totally with and believe in. But we need to not miss the mandate that the word means from the beginning, which is, which is that of warfare. Amen. 
So then Jesus says, the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against you. Well, I used to think that meant when all hell seemed to come against me that they wouldn't prevail and overwhelm me and I would make it through by the grace of God. Well, that's true, but that isn't what this verse is saying because gates are not defensive weapons. I mean, they're not offensive weapons, excuse me. The gates don't come and attack you, all right? What it's saying is, when you, as an ecclesia, go to plunder hell, the gates of hell will not be able to keep you out, but you will enter through and plunder. That's what it's saying. Hallelujah. And the gates also refer to the government of hell. So it's saying the principalities and powers and rulers will not be able to stand against you, but you will be able to bind the strong man and plunder the goods of hell. Hallelujah. Now, who, what are uh, the goods of hell? <clears throat> because in Mark 3, 27, Mark 3, 27, it says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. And Jesus is specifically talking about Satan and his kingdom in this verse, all right? So what are hell's goods that we want to plunder? Well, it's the people who are held in darkness, the veil over their mind that need desperately to be set free. I don't know if y'all have heard this song, but it just really ministers to me. I think it's from Elevation Worship. Um, It has this little part of the chorus, and it says, Hell lost another one, I am free. Hell lost another one, I am free. And that's what we're called to do is to free people. But we've got to bind the strong man to be really effective. Now, we'll get a few saved, and I'm not diminishing any efforts of evangelism at all. But let me tell you, it's a whole different thing when you go corporately together as warfare and and take out the strong man, then you can really see plunder. Hallelujah. Jesus then says that he would give them the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So in ancient Hebrew and other cultures, giving someone the keys, say, to your house, didn't mean that they could open the door and put your mail on the dining room table and water your plants. It meant you were giving them all the resources of the house was available to them. They could use it however they chose to. So when Jesus says he's giving us the keys of the kingdom, and of course that's the kingdom of God, he's saying that he's giving us access to all the resources of heaven. Hallelujah. Now that that deserves a whole message, but we won't do that. It includes, however, at least the finances to do what God's called you to do. It's, it's got to include that, all right? And in the context of warfare, in the context of the gates of hell not prevailing against you and plundering hell, it means the angel armies are available to you. We don't, the reason why that, the song about all I did was worship, all I did was praise is because the angel armies go out and do the warfare, hallelujah. But we've got to have them if we're going to get done what this kind of stuff that needs to be done. Amen? Yeah. 
Glory to God. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is out of the Holmes Christian Standard. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus is just about to ascend to the Father. And this is the last thing he's giving his disciples, which means it's very important. All right. Now, Jesus had never said, while before his death, that he had all authority in heaven. All right. Because Jesus came as the last Adam, and he was walking in the authority that Adam was given, and he was recovering and undoing what Adam messed up and what Adam was supposed to have done. Jesus was accomplishing all that. But now he has, he has died, he's been resurrected, and he's come back, and now he says, I, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Okay, now, Jesus... This is, goes without saying, but I, Jesus isn't bragging about his authority. Look what I can do. I know everything. I can do everything, you know. He's not doing that. We know because in the very next verse he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Well, when you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to look and see what it's there for. So what is it there for? It's there because they are in Christ and since he now has all authority in heaven and on earth, they can function in that delegated authority in all of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. So therefore, they can go and make disciples of all nations because of that authority. Now, we understand a little about authority on earth, but authority in heaven sounds kind of strange. What does it mean? Because there's, you can obviously get into weirdness about this in a hurry. All right. So... I am under the impression that at least it means that we have authority in the second heaven where the principalities and powers rule from. And because of that, we have authority over them. After all, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all, all the powers and principalities. It's the same way of saying the, the same thing. Because of that, we can go and disciples nations because we have authority over those principalities that hold the people in darkness. Amen. Amen. All right, now in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says something that's similar or related. He has just come back from the dead, and he says uh, in verse 21, John 20, 21, so Jesus said to them, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So the question is, how did the Father send them? Now, it's obvious it's not talking about his divine conception. You know, there's a lot of things you would think about that it obviously doesn't apply to us. So I want to propose to you what I believe it means, and I think you'll, you'll understand. In the world that Jesus lived in, uh, there was this concept of an accepted son. The Greek word was huios, H-U-I-O-S. 
And a weah son had come into his inheritance. I don't know if you've been to like New York City and places like that, you'll see these stores, so-and-so and son, so-and-so and son, so-and-so and son. Well, it's because they're in that culture, and when the son gets of age, they turn the business over to the son. The father's still there working with him, but the son makes a lot of the final decisions and stuff, okay? He's come into his inheritance. So in order to become a weah son, you had to be 30 years old. You had to have learn the father's business so well that you did it like the father did it. And you had to have developed your father's character so that when people did business with you, they felt like they were doing business with him. They were gonna get treated with the same grace and the same, same way the father treated them. Y'all know where I'm going, okay? Um, so when the time came for the son to become a weah son, they would have, his father would have a party. And after the party, perhaps the next day, he would take his son around to all of his business partners, the people he bought and sold from, were in, was involved in business with. And there was a sort of a key phrase, the wording didn't have to be exact, but he would say, this is my beloved weos in whom I am well pleased, or in whom I take delight, or whatever. <laughs> Hallelujah. That meant that they could now do business with the son just like they did with him. That meant they could make contracts with him. They could set prices with him. Whatever the business required, they couldn't, he, the son was now authorized. All right. So we'll look at Matthew 3, 16 to 17, because you all already know where I'm going here with this. This is about Jesus. When he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Mind you, he was 30 years old. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And of course, that word Son is weos. It's the first time it's used of Jesus in the Scriptures. He was never called a weos until this time. Hallelujah. So Father God was announcing to all the world, we know it wasn't the Spirit because the Spirit was there as a dove, we obviously wasn't Jesus, so the voice was Father God's voice. And he's announcing to the whole world that he's turning the family business over to Jesus. The family business is the kingdom of God. And Jesus went about preaching, the kingdom of God has come near you. Why? Because he embodied the kingdom of God. So he had come near you. Hallelujah. And if you notice, Jesus had no trouble getting resources for what God called him to do. Feeding four or 5,000 men plus women and children was no problem. Not an issue. So when Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, I send you, he's turning the running, the family business over to them. <laughs> Hallelujah, because he's, he's, he's going up. So, Father God is calling you, if you are not already one, to become a we us son. I just challenge you to look inside. He wants you to learn to run, to run the kingdom the way Father God does. The wow. same, same way. And to understand the workings of it so all he has to do is give you a word and you know what he means and you can <laughs> obey him and follow him. 
We have to understand. We have to be trained. And he wants you to have his character so that when people do business with you, they, they feel like they've been with Jesus. They, they, they learn what Father God, what Jesus looks like because of how you treat them and how you behave towards them and how you exemplify God's love and character and whatever the situation requires. Amen? All right, I've got one more verse. This is Psalm 110, verses 1 through 3. This is the most quoted verse uh, from the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted six times, so it would seem to be important. Um, And we'll just read it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. And it goes on, but this is, this, I, need, I need to just stop here. Because I don't have revelation about the rest of the chapters, but I do about this part. So Jesus himself quoted this verse in, we're not going to read it, but in Luke 20, verses 41 through 44, if you want it. And he's talking to the Sadducees and the scribes, I believe, and he asks them a question. He says, whose son is the Christ? Whose son is the Messiah? And they say, well, he's David's son. And he says, well, how come then David calls him Lord when, when, and then he quotes this verse, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So they, they didn't argue that the second Lord was the Messiah, but they couldn't understand how because they didn't have the revelation that the Messiah was fully God and fully man, so he could be both the son of David and be king of kings and lord of lords. So Jesus, we interpret scripture by scripture, so Jesus himself says that this second lord is him, is the Messiah, all right? So I'm not pulling this out of anywhere, it's it's from the word itself. So this verse is saying, Father God says to our Lord Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, so what does it mean for Jesus' enemies to be made his footstool? Okay, well, in my mind, it goes back to what the Roman generals used to do when they went on a big military campaign and they conquered a nation or a region. They would bring back the generals, the captains, the officers of the army, the nobles, the kings, the princes, the people in authority, and they would parade them through Rome, bound in chains, showing them who they had conquered. So it, and of course, we're not, all the, all of the forces of darkness are Jesus' enemy, but the enemies he's talking about are the ones who rule, the principalities and powers and, and all of those. And so for Jesus' enemies to be made his footstool means they're not ruling anymore. They're not doing their thing, exercising free reign and messing humanity up, which is sort of their job. Um, so, okay, let's keep going. Then he says, I will send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Well, when you see Zion in the Old Testament, you can basically substitute the word church or the word ecclesia if, it's ta- if you're bringing it into the New Testament. And so Father God is saying he's going to send Jesus' authority 
and power, rod stands for power, out of and through his ecclesia. All right? So we're called to, to demonstrate his power and his authority down here. Father God prophesies it over his son that he's going to do that. And finally he says, your people will volunteer in the midst, in, in the day of your power. Hallelujah. And I'm sorry, I left out a phrase. It says, rule in the midst of your enemies, which kind of just goes along with the same thing. So to put it all together, Psalm 110 verses 1 through 3 is a statement that Father God said to our Lord Jesus Christ. And this declaration is made after Jesus raises from the dead and is resurrected and finally goes to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, where hopefully we are seated with him. Amen. And Father God says to our Lord Jesus, stay here, seated beside me in heaven, until I make all the rulers of hell powerless and take away their territories and their rule over people. I will do this by your power and authority flowing out of and through the ecclesia who will volunteer in that day. Hallelujah. Mm. Beloved, we are in that day. And the implications are really huge. The implication is that until we accomplish that, until we've subdued his enemies and made them his footstool, that then and only then will Jesus return to earth. He's going to be seated by his father until his enemies have been made his footstool. I mean, Father God prophesies it over his son. He's probably going to do what he set out to do. Not probably, that's a figure of speech. But anyway, just to make sure you understand me. <clears throat> so when Jesus, when Father God says that Jesus' enemies are going to be made his footstool, that really includes a lot of different things for us to do. And it means a different thing for each person sitting here to some degree. It certainly means bringing God's kingdom to be on earth as it is in heaven. We have a piece of that every day, every place you go. You're supposed to make it more like heaven. Hallelujah. Less like hell. Um, it certainly has to include evangelism and missions. All right. We know from Matthew 28 that it means discipling nations. Well, that certainly has to mean teaching people and probably specifically teaching leaders who will teach people of nations, shifting cultures and making, bringing the culture of the kingdom of God into that nation. And finally, it has to include dethroning territorial spirits. So they're not ruling and not putting veils over people's minds. Now, I don't know whether you're aware of it, but there are quite a few places where this has been done and huge revivals follow. People just want to get saved. I, sometimes, sometimes without even hearing the word, they just come into a situation where there's people praying and they come up and waves of people come and want to be saved. It's just crazy. Um, what happens when the veil is taken away? <clears throat> now, we can't do any of these things well unless we have strong churches and we have mature believers. We have to have we are sons. Um, strong churches can send out laborers to the harvest. Uh, so there's work for all of us to do, whether he sends us out or whether he leaves us here, we're all a part of, of bringing his kingdom to earth, of, 
bringing Jesus back. Hallelujah. In the book of Psalms, chapter 110, David prophesies that God's people would volunteer in the day of his power. Now, I believe the day of his power means when the Holy Spirit has come in power. And that day is now. So my question to you is, have you volunteered? Are you part of the team that God's prophesying over that has volunteered in the day of his power? Are you doing everything the Holy Spirit has given you to do towards advancing his kingdom? And, and that's worth a little look inside to, to see and make sure Holy Spirit's not prompting you about something he's been wanting you to do or calling you to do, but make sure that you're on board with what he has for you because each of us has a different thing to do. We're not, I'm not called to do what he does. He's not called to do what I do. We're each has an individual call in the Lord, but our part is important and, and it needs to be done. Hallelujah. So I'd like to invite you to look inside and I, I also want to, there could be some here who are not part of God's army yet. You, Kimberly kind of alluded to it pretty strongly as well. You, you have to have made Jesus your Lord. If he's not your Lord, you're not in his kingdom and you're not a part of any of this. Uh, but that invitation is here. You can volunteer now to be a part of his kingdom and have him use you for whatever. Um, so I don't know if we could have a little bit of music playing or something like that. But I'd like you, us to do a little soul searching. And if God is calling you to something particular, uh, especially if you're not yet a part of his kingdom, and he's not, if you're not absolutely sure that he is the Lord of your life, that he is your God and you are his man, his woman, his child. If, if that's you, then I, I especially want to invite you to come forward and respond. And if God's just calling you to volunteer... Even if you just feel convicted and you're not sure what it is, then just tell the Lord, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will be where you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll give what you want me to give. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. Hallelujah. So I'm going to just pray for you briefly. Lord God, I lift up these people. Lord, I believe, oh my goodness, that they are, they're already walking in a bunch of this, Lord, but I just want to issue your call to come up higher, to be more committed to you, to be in, about everything you're doing, and to pray and act with greater authority, the authority of heaven behind them in fullness, with faith to go with it, hallelujah. So I bless these people in the name of Jesus. I bless them. I bless them with visions. I bless them with clarity of calling. I bless them with gifts of faith. I bless them to overcome disunity in any form or fashion that would try and raise its head because we've got to be a unified ecclesia to function as it at all. So I bless them with unity, Lord God. I bless them with the ability to get behind their leaders and adopt the vision that God is giving them here in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Lord, we want to volunteer in the day, this day of your power, Lord God. Use us, Lord. Let the rod of your strength go out of Zion, go out of the ecclesia, Lord. We volunteer, Lord God, as you see fit. 
We say, Lord, show us what to loose, what you're loosing in heaven. Show us what to bind, what you're binding in heaven, Lord. We want to be your voice on the earth. We want to be your we are sons running the family business the way you want it run, Lord God. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. You are awesome. take a few minutes if you're like saying hey I, I need to hear you God and I'm answering a call to do more to be more to listen to what your word says we'll take just a few minutes I look around the room I know most of you so if you need to answer saying God there's something I need something's missing we're going to take just a minute we're, you know me I'm not going to hold on forever because I believe if God's dealing with you, you need to move. So, if you need to pray, come on and do it now. Saying, God, I need to answer your call a little bit more. I know I need to answer a little more. I need to go a little deeper. So just take some time. Go ahead and just pray. Find yourself a spot and just pray. You, you know, for this, you don't need hands laid on you. Just find yourself a spot. Just begin to pray. Just begin to say, God, I want to answer that call even deeper. Be more of what... It, it really comes down to revelation of who you are. A revelation of who God has called you to be. And just ask Him, open that up to me now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So we're just going to take a minute. We're not going to go a long time here. We're just going to let these pray. And if you're, if you're not, if you're just sitting back there, just begin to worship. Just begin to thank God right now. Just begin. Amy, will you go up there and sing Defender, what she's playing now, please? And just let God do something in your life. Just reveal more of who we are, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So let's take a few minutes, and if you're not up front praying, let's just worship. If you still need to come up front and, and just say, hey, God, I need to be in, in I need to more hear you. I need to hear you clearer. And so I'm submitting so I can be that, what you've called me to be. Thank you. Let's just take a few minutes, guys.